Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Welcome to Celebration Church. We are about to get started with worship. So if I could have you all stand up, turn around and say hello to somebody. I know we are spread about. The Bible says to greet one another, so that is important for us to do. I am happy to see all the smiling faces. I hope Christmas and New Year's have been all that you dreamed they would be. Um, we, are, uh, we are excited to have a uh, very first service together uh, in 2021, and I know we've got a lot of folks online. Hello, everybody. Um, hope to see all of you soon, and uh, we'll keep you posted, obviously, throughout the year uh, what our schedules of services are, depending on what's going on, but it is our intention to have as many in-person services as absolutely possible because I think it is just really important uh, to be safe, but it is even more important to be together in the name of Jesus. So uh, that is why we are here. We're here to worship him together, and I want to invite you to do that with us. So let's, let's do that. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let's invite him to come and have his way and do what he wishes and uh, let's surrender our hearts to him as we do that. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that you are here with us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that your promise to us is that you are an ever-present help in times of struggle, and you are with us. We are gathered together, two or three, in your name, and here we are. Lord, gathered in your name, and we ask, Lord, that you would come, that you would be with us. God, we, we pray that we would be well-pleasing to you in every good work this morning, including 
worship. God, enlarge our hearts for praise. Let us see you today for who you are and rejoice for what you have done. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. the light. 
Lamentations 3.22. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, God, that we can rest in your word, knowing that it is true from the beginning to the end. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal that to us today, the truth of your word, Lord. And that would we, we would lean back on you, not our own understanding. Our own understanding will fail us, but your holy written word cannot ever fail. There is so much hope, Lord, in your word. So I pray that we look to you and that we honor you, Jesus. May your glory fill this place today. For all believers and non-believers, may they see that you are good. In Jesus' name.
Your job may mean everything to you, but it does not come close to the job that you have as a Christian to proclaim the name of Jesus. Your job one day will be gone, and you know what? It'll be somebody else's. Your job is not who you are. Your job is who he is in you. And you have a job to proclaim that he is good. And when everything passes away, he's still there. If you do not know him, if you are at home and you are searching and you are tired of being tired, it's time. It is time to stop and look to the cross because this beginning to end is true. It is true. It is the only, only Bible, the only thing that is full proof. May the Holy Spirit open your eyes to see the truth of who he is. So I pray as we sing this last worship song in your home, in your car, right here in his sanctuary, you would say, God, I've had this messed up. I'm going to take a last breath. Somebody's going to take this job that I so long for and I love it. It's going to be somebody else's one day. But Lord, I need you. I need you. Let's go boldly before the throne of grace this morning. Let's pray for those that we know that do not serve Jesus. It's the most important prayer that you pray. That labors be sent across their path. That their eyes would be open to see his truth. I promise the journey is worth it. All the things that you have to lay down is 100% worth it. Let's worship him, church. Worship him, worship him, worship him, and ask him to go after your loved ones. Go after your family, your friends that do not know him. Rescue them, Lord. Rescue them. I pray their hearts are pliable to you and to the truth. God, rescue them just like you rescued me. Rescue them, Jesus. It is the most important prayer anybody on this earth will ever pray in their lifetime. In their lifetime, it is the most important prayer. I pray that all pride falls aside. There's no game on earth that is greater to be won. There's nothing. You are all. May we see that clearly today, Jesus. Thank you, Baba.
I just want to ask you to bow your head with me if you would. Lord, we we don't always know what to say. 
or how to pray. God, our hearts are sometimes jumbled up and confused. God, I pray that you would hear the cry of your people today. That we need you. That we commit our way to you. That we trust also in you. We trust, Lord, that you will be our righteousness. That in this new year, we will not be able to do enough right things to earn favor with you. But your righteousness is freely given through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would know that in truth this year. Whether we have been a Christian for years or whether we are contemplating where we stand. God, I pray that we would know that our eyes would be opened. That we have a righteousness through faith that is not our own. It is the gift of God and we thank you for that. God, there are hearts that are confused and troubled. And you said, Lord, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Trust in me. Jesus, I pray you would teach us to trust you and lead us to trust you. You would strengthen us to trust you. God, that you would increase our faith. Lord, I pray that everywhere that we have put you in the back seat and everywhere that we have our own selves put forward, God, that you would help us to surrender to you. Church, before we move on, I just want to ask you to just say, Lord, I am surrendering this year to you. I'm surrendering last year to you. I am not looking to the things which are behind. I am straining forward to the things which are ahead. Lord, I am trusting in your sovereign plan and will. I'm trusting in you that you will do it. You will accomplish all your desire in my life. And God, that my heart would line up as I delight myself in you. You will give me the desires for my heart. Lord, we are calling out to you to lead us and to guide us and to show us and teach us and to train us, Lord, that we would be the kind of Christians that you want us to be in 2021. Lord, a bunch of Esthers being told by Mordecai, who knows, you may have been born for such a time as this. And God, we know that it's true because we're here. Lord, I pray that we would be in you all that you are calling us to be by your grace by your strength by your help by the power of the Holy Spirit Lord we thank you for all of this in Jesus name and all God's people said You can be seated, but I want to have Ken Walker to come up. He had something he wanted to share, and then we're going to dismiss the kids, I promise.
On the first Sunday of 2020, I shared that I felt God had given me a word, and don't be surprised if God does great things in 2020. And in the next couple months, our attendance went up about 35%. And I was amazed even when I said, don't be surprised if God does something great. And then came the pandemic, the lockdowns, no church for two and a half months. And uh, I said, oh, golly, wasn't counting on this. What I didn't know was God was going to do a great work in my life in 2020. This is the cover story of December 14th issue of Time. For those of you who can't see this in the back, 2020 with a big, big red X through it and small letters underneath, the worst year ever. This is the blog I had posted on my website this past week. And the headline says, 2020, the best year ever. Now, it was the best year for me financially. But that's not really that important. Because during 2020, I was humbled on several levels. A couple months ago, during the testimony service, I talked about God showing me that I was not really thoroughly (laughs) victorious with my temper. Recently, he showed me that while I'm honest, I can also be blunt and run roughshod over people's feelings. He said, you need to be kinder. So, okay. And he also, in the last month or two, showed me something that Steve has basically been preaching for 15 years. That's how thick-headed I am. It took me 15 years to get the point, and only because God pointed it out. And that's that it's all about grace. The things in my life, the blessings, my wife, my family, my friends, my church family, my pastor. Not because I deserve them. Not because I worked hard for them. They're just God's grace. My only responsibility is to be grateful. And so I am. And so I hope that you will join me in looking for a better 2021 than 2020. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ken. I want to scoot up here. Praise the Lord. Boy, 2020. It's over, by the way. (laughs) Um, We are going to dismiss kids. So I have not dismissed kids, it feels like, in seven, eight months. So somebody help me out. I'm dismissing, say that again, 
pre-K to fifth grade, and you are going to be following Tabitha and Jennifer. So let's give the kids a hand as they go away. We love you, children. So I'm going to do a couple of announcements uh, as they're going, but something I want to have everybody do is we're going to be taking communion at the end of service. So if you want to, we don't have it up front, it's just actually a little bit easier if you go out into the hallway and grab the communion elements. So if you haven't done that, while I go over a couple of announcements, if you want to go out in the hallway and grab some of these, they're right outside in the foyer. Uh, if we wanted to, we could call it a narthex, but we, I don't know where that word came from. I heard somebody use that uh, in reference to a foyer, and I was like, what in the world is a narthex? Apparently it's a real word and not a made-up one. Uh, but anyway, um, that is where that is at. So a couple quick announcements. One, it is good to see everybody. Two, I had a tooth break in half this week, which is every bit as exciting as that sounds. So I have a side of my tongue that is currently being uh, touched by a circular saw inside of my mouth. So uh, I'm getting that fixed this week. But anyway, if I, if I sound funny or thick-tongued, it's because both of those things are true as I'm talking. A couple different things. One, uh, we have prayer tonight. It's at 6 p.m. We do that the first Sunday of uh, each month. We've been doing that for several years, and we would like to encourage you to come out uh, and be a part of that. We are praying for our community. We are praying for our church. We are praying for our country. We are praying, praying, praying. Uh, and prayer is integral to our life as Christians. We are commanded to pray always and at all times, and getting together for corporate prayer is really important. So we would love to have you come. As of right now, we are having a family roller skating party, and that is on February the 14th, which is Valentine's Day. It's at Rollerama, which is that way on 7th, I think it's 7th Avenue. Um, anyway, the, the only reason that would change is if something changes to where we're not allowed to go. But we are planning on going, uh, and we can have a crowd of 50 or less. But we do that for the kids. It's fun, but it's kids and adults. Um, if you haven't roller skated in a while, you will be sore the next day, I promise. A um, couple other things coming up. Tuesday, January 5th, we have Woven. That is for women. The qualification for coming is to be a woman, uh, and that's all we need. Show up uh, at 6 o'clock, uh, especially if you're looking to connect. This is a wonderful ministry to do that. And then Bandit is going to be resuming. Bandit is... Of course, uh, the men's ministry, it's going to be resuming on Sunday mornings. Soon, in the month of January, we'll have details. Or do you have a detail? Next Sunday. Okay, so next Sunday uh, at 9 a.m., we're going to meet, uh, and we're going through 9.15, excuse me, Tony Evans, is that who we're going through? We're going through a series by Tony Evans. Um, and it will be good, and men and women both need time to fellowship with one another. Um, if you're keeping score at home, men and women are different, so it is important to have uh, some fellowship and some specific teaching and specific directed discussion around men and women, and that is why we have those ministries. So, 
That is all that I have in terms of announcements. Um, how many of you saw the Christmas movie that we made? Uh, when I say we, I mean Chris and Amanda and Dan and Seth and Kendra and everybody else that was in it. Uh, we've almost got 500 views on YouTube. I feel like uh, I feel like we're well on our way to fame and glory, which is the whole point of doing something on YouTube. Not really. But anyway, if you, if you could share that, it's just been really cool uh, to watch that uh, this week and look at it and had a lot of great feedback. And thank you again to everybody that participated in that. All right. Praise the Lord. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. So here we are, 2021, and the world has changed. Do I have any disagreement from the congregation? The world that we are living in is not the same one that it was 10 months ago. In my lifetime, I've never experienced change socially, culturally, economically, politically, as, as intense and as rapid as it's happened in this last year. Now, there, there has surely been, don't hear me incorrectly, there has surely been other times in human history where change has happened and it's been rapid and it's been crazy and it's been turning, turned the world upside down, but I have, in my lifetime, never experienced what we have experienced and are continuing to experience. Never in my life. What does that mean? Actually, it doesn't mean a whole lot. It just means that in my life, in my experience, this is what we are going through. But I don't know if you've ever really spent much time reading the Bible. I hope that you have. I hope that this year you will make a good New Year's resolution, not one that says, I want to look better in the mirror, even though that's okay. But that should probably be down here on the priority list. I hope you have a New Year's resolution that says, I want to be closer to God this year, and I want to know God in a real way this year. Because when you read the Scripture and you read the Bible, you find that the people of God were going through changes that were drastic. There would be long periods of peace, and then there would be this radical, unsettling changes that took place throughout Israel's history. It was directly related to their obedience to God. Now, my sermon is not on that this morning. I'm just pointing out that throughout human history and throughout biblical history, you find moments of radical change. When Jesus showed up and started preaching in the synagogues, He absolutely made Israel a buzzing bee's nest for three years. After His death and resurrection, the apostles that go out and start preaching the Gospel, in Acts chapter 16, they are accused, not in a good way, they are accused in a bad way, of these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Because they were preaching one God, there's not a bunch of gods, the rest of your gods aren't gods. Well, that, that puts you in bad 
shape in the pagan, polytheistic, pluralistic society that also wanted you to throw a pinch of incense on the altar for Caesar, acknowledging him as God, and the Christians refused to do it. And they refused to worship in Ephesus. They refused to worship the goddess. They refused, to, and so they were accused of turning the world upside down. Not in a good way. Man, that's a wonderful accusation, though. They turned the world upside down, preaching in one God who has one mediator between God and man, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came as a man who died in our place as a substitute with our sin. God raises him from the dead, and there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the only name by which man may be saved. Well, this is a radical, radical claim. And they preached it everywhere. And the difference between just radical religious zeal, which lots of religions have, and change that is effected and changes the world is the Holy Spirit. Because the Gospel in our mouths is really meaningless without the impact and the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. And that is what the church has had for 2,000 years in crazy times and in peaceful times. So cheer up, Christians. Cheer up for a second. It may be the end of the world as we know it. It very well may be. But we are still sustained by the same God, the same Gospel, empowered by the same Holy Spirit to speak the same message that Peter and Paul were preaching and writing about in the Bible. We are not alone and we are not forsaken. So, one of the things I wanted to caution us this morning, I, have, I'm gonna, I promise we're going to get to Ephesians 4. One of the things I wanted to caution us this morning from is the phrase that I'm hearing a lot. It's in our bulletin. I want us to be cautious with the way we use the word normal. Just want things to be normal. How many of you have said it? Raise your hand. I want to see. I want, to, I want public shame for all of us. I've also said it. I just want things to be normal. As defined by me. I'm the arbiter of normalcy. I know what normal is, and I want it to be back to normal. Well, I agree. I'm, I'm sick and tired of these things. I don't know about you. Absolutely sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of news reports. Every time I open up my phone, uh, somebody is telling me something about red and orange and zones and cases and new strains and vaccines and politicization of those things and all the stuff that goes along with everything that's going on. Is anybody else just kind of sick and tired of it? Some, some people have literally been sick. We've got folks that, uh, that have COVID as we speak, and we're praying for them. We've had people in this room that have had COVID. We've had people uh, recover. We've also had people with a lot of after effects. We've, I know some people at this point, 10 months in, or 11, wherever we're at, uh, some folks that have passed away. So it's terrible, and it's awful. And our sense of normalcy being tied to what we've always known and what we've always, what we've always grown up with 
um, is, is altered and shaped by these events. And what I find is that our anchor is, has not necessarily been as Christians deep into the soil of God's Word, the rock of His Word, so that our ship doesn't go flying down the sea, tossed back and forth, but instead our anchor may have been just firmly rooted in American culture. And as a result, when winds, real winds of adversity blow across the whole world, because all of you have had adversity, all of us have lost jobs, and all of us have had anxieties, and all of us have had terrible sickness. People, we've all had adversities and trials, and we've had marriage issues. We've had all kinds of different things. So I'm not, we're not strangers to adversity, but we are strangers to global changes and shifting winds and cultural shifts and social shifts and political shifting that feels really different. This isn't just one election to another. It just feels different, right? I'm not... I'm not making this up. I mean, this is what's happening. And so what we find is what, what we're anchored to, is it moving? Or are we staying put with something that is solid and true? My sermon this morning is taken directly from The Mandalorian, which is great. I won't give any spoilers this morning if you haven't seen all of season two, which is very well done. This is the way. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, so this is the way. What is the way? Let's look at what Ephesians says. All my opinions are really meaningless, and that's kind of part of my point today in the sermon. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 11 through verse 16. And he, we're speaking of Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we thank You for this text and we thank you for this morning. God, we've already, I've already been talking this morning and so Lord, I just pray that you would help me exposit from these scriptures what we need to hear. God, I pray that by your spirit you would breathe life into these words and that you would give us hope and that you would give us the kind of eyes that see biblically and not through the lens of culture, but through the lens of the Holy Spirit through the lens of Your Word. And Lord, I ask that You would help our church and our country and our world to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. It's a great chapter. And the part we just read 
is about Jesus and what He's done to help the church out. Specifically, the church is you. The church is the body of Christ. It is the people of God. And, as you may have noticed, some of the funny language that's in here, you're referred to as joints or tendons. There's a bunch of elbows and knees out here in the congregation. You have a purpose within the body of Christ and you are not having a purpose for the sake of having a purpose. This is not a sermon on your destiny. Okay? This is a sermon on that all of our destiny is to have a mature body that grows up into Christ that builds itself up in love. That's not nearly as exciting as your own personal destiny, but it is biblically exciting. The idea of having a body, a church, that is growing together in the Lord, and we're going to find out when each part does its share working properly. Uh, it's really, really simple, and yet, like many simple things that are in Scripture, it's the doing of it that is where the rubber meets the road. So let's, let's go through here. Let's go back to verse 11. What is the goal? What are we talking about? It's, the goal is that uh, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers would equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the reason for that is to build up the body of Christ until everybody attains the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we would no longer be children. Very simple. We are supposed to grow. There's a little baby here in the back, Jack. He's back there. He's all cute and everything else um, because he's a baby and that's what babies are. Everybody expects him to grow, correct? Everybody expects him to grow and to, as, as he grows, everybody expects him to uh, eventually get more mature and go to school and learn how to read and then eventually learn how to reason and all, eventually go to maybe college, maybe, don't know, and then maybe get a job and then have a family and then grow, right? The growing, the normal process of growth. If Eric, hi Eric, if Eric were to kick me in the shin, his parents would not be happy. However, it would be different if Rob kicked me in the shin. True? Everybody would know the inherent difference in those two actions. If Eric kicks me in the shin, everybody would be like, ooh, he's going to be in trouble. If Rob kicks me in the shin, it would be a, it, everybody would be like, uh, what happens next? Does, does Steve kick him back? Boy, that would be quite a sight, wouldn't it? We understand that there's supposed to be growth and maturity. We understand spiritually that there is also supposed to be growth and maturity. And the, the way that this growth is happening is through the ministry that God has set into the church. And He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We call this the fivefold ministry. I'm not going to go into a big long discussion about that. But let's just agree to say this, that the bottom line of the fivefold ministry listed here 
is that they are preaching the Bible and helping people live according to what it says. Is that simple enough? I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that that comes out. Evangelists are more like proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord, whereas teachers and shepherds are more coming alongside those who are new in Christ or old in Christ and helping them walk their life. But, but at the same time, that's what the, all of it is working together, and they're doing it through the preaching of the Word of God and the teaching and the explaining of the Word of God. In other words, God puts people in the church to equip the saints through the preaching of God's Word and through the faithful execution of church so that the saints, which is you, will grow up into maturity and that you will be equipped to do the work of ministry. Now this is not a sermon, though it could be. This is not a sermon on how you should get involved in 2021. But, but it can be if you just want to think of that. Because your job is not just to sit here and listen and go home. Your job is, what does God want me to do? Am I an elbow? Am I a knee? Am I a ligament in the pinky? What am I? What am I here to do? Lord, what have you gifted me to do? Again, I'm not talking about your destiny, I'm talk, but I am talking about God did call you and make you to do something. He did call you to do something with others, specifically your brothers and sisters in Christ. But all of this is supposed to be happening. Pastors and teachers are are involved in the the work of ministry. Jesus put them there to grow the church so that the church is mature and growing in what you're supposed to be doing. That's what, until we all attain, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we're growing in our understanding and we're growing in our unity with each other. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Just sounds awesome, doesn't it? That's where, we're, that's where we're supposed to be headed. But verse 14 tells me that there are sharks in the water. And that's why we need maturity. Here are the sharks. So that we would no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, shark number one. By human cunning, shark number two. By craftiness and deceitful schemes, shark number three. I want you to be aware that there are on purpose, intentional sharks in the water that are interested in devouring you. Specifically, the image that he's using here is like a boat that's on a sea that's being tossed by wind in waves, and wherever the wind is blowing, that's where it's going. Now, I'm not I'm saying sharks, but I just I want the image to be a scary one. That there are bad doctrines, there is human cunning, and there is craftiness in deceitful schemes. Which is another way of saying on purpose, deliberate plans 
to unsettle the mind and the heart and the life of a Christian. There are specific plans and teachings and temptations and lies that come from the devil, lies that come from your own flesh, lies that come from the desire we all have, uh, we have these itching ears that want to hear things from the Bible that confirm what we already feel good about. Does this make sense? I want God to excuse my sin, therefore I will find a way to make Bible verses excuse my sin. I know that's not a big amen moment, right? I want, I want to be able to do this thing, and therefore I will find Bible verses that allow me to do this thing. I feel a certain way, and my feelings are more important than God's Word. Therefore, my feelings will point the Scripture where I want it, rather than the Scripture pointing my feelings where they should go. Do you know there's a big difference between those two things? James tells us that when you look into the perfect law of liberty, you see what kind of man you are. And normally, what that means is you see the dirty smudges on your face that you are to clean off with what you are learning from the Scripture. Not, huh, that mirror has revealed to me that this big dirt smear up my face is perfectly suited for a job interview. Would you go to a job interview with a bunch of dirt on your face in pajamas? Now, I interview people, and I have had some interesting interviews at work um, where people did come in dressed in such a way that I thought, huh, that's, that's certainly interesting. I'm not hiring you. <laughs> because, no, we, we want and think and feel things that may not be biblical. Our job is not to go to the Bible to make the Bible be what we need it to be. This is why at Woven and Banded and any other Bible study we do, do you know what the most dangerous thing in the world to do in a Bible study is? Hey, Abby, what does that verse mean to you? Do you know why that's dangerous? Who cares? Politely and respectfully, who cares what it means to you? Let me, let me do it a different way. The police officer pulls you over because you are going 75 miles an hour in a 25 residential neighborhood, which we see right out here frequently. Does he say, what did that 25 miles an hour mean to you? Well, to me, it means 75. Oh, well, no problem. I'm, I'm sorry for stopping you. Let me give you an escort to where you want to go in such a hurry. Is that the way that it works? No. Why would we go to something infinitely more important than 25 miles an hour on the speed limit and say, what does it mean to you? It doesn't actually matter what it means to you. What matters is what it means. Because what it means is what's supposed to transform you. You see the difference. Well, this verse makes me feel that, okay, if you're saying 
that the verse makes you feel good because like Ken just shared, that it's the grace of God. That it's the grace of God that's going to get me where I'm going to go. And you're seeing that truth and it makes you feel good. That's great. I'm not against that. I think that's what should be happening. But if Ken says, oh, the grace of God means that I can do whatever I want. In fact, Ken shared that he felt the Lord convicting him to be more kind. That's what the law of liberty does. Hey, Ken, be nice. I'm just paraphrasing. And Ken says, okay, I will change my behavior. Do you see, you see how the Bible works? It doesn't work the other way to say, well, God, you made me this way by your grace. Therefore, anything I do must be good. You see how that's wrong? It's backwards, it's upside down. Does this apply to other things? Yes. Are there teachings that are in the world today, in particular in the American church, that are dangerous? Oh, oh gosh. Yes. Yes. We are addicted to ourselves. I love the Terrell Owens quote in which he said, I love me some me. And if anything sums up the way that a lot of church people act and think and live their lives, it's a better me, a better, a better tomorrow, this, a new year and a new you. I was rebuked by a preacher once because I was talking, not in a positive way, but in a negative way about myself where I was just constantly reflecting on all of my shortcomings and failures, which is just another way of being addicted to your own self. You know you can do it both ways. Most people don't do it arrogantly. There's some. They're easy to identify. They're narcissists. But narcissism has an underbelly, which is, I'm no good, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I'm no good. So what are you doing there? You're just focused on you nonstop all the time, every day. And you feel a little more humble about it because it seems like it's, well, it's self-depreciating, it's negative, so it can't be bad. Well, you're still focused on you. And we have sermon culture in our American church that I would call a deceitful scheme that causes us to scurry around like ants from one nothing to another nothing and accomplish nothing in our lives as we try to improve ourselves through our own self as we want others to recognize how good we are or our progress. I'm saying this because it's New Year's and because people are really thinking things like, I'm going to lose 15 pounds, I'm going to do this, this is going to be my year, this is me, which we always do, and by February it's over. But we do that at the beginning of the year, and what I am looking at scripturally is we aren't supposed to be focused on us. I am supposed to be focused on Jesus and the world around me. The way that I'm focused on me is when the Scripture reveals and convicts my heart and says what you're doing and the way you're living and the way you're talking, like what Ken shared, 
that's when I say, okay, thank You, Lord, for Your conviction. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I will change that behavior. Thank You, Lord, for Your truth. Probably never before has a new year carried more punch to it than 2021 in my lifetime because everybody's so desperate for 2021 to be different than 2020. It could very well be worse. I am filled with hope and joy this morning. Actually, I am. I am because the church throughout history has survived much more difficult circumstances than we are in currently. The church has survived it and thrived in it. The Gospel has spread. And it always happens not from Christians who are strutting around having their best life now. It's not happening that way. It's happening through humble people who love God and know God and pursue God and desire God and want God above everything else. And I'm just looking here that this church is supposed to be in a mature manhood, full stature of Christ, so that we're not children that want to eat cotton candy and suckers every day. I would like cotton candy for breakfast. Pour Mountain Dew on that, please. I would like ice cream and sherbet for lunch. I would like pizza every night. If I was a kid, that's what I would want. That's what I would ask for. And that's what children spiritually want all the time. They want me, me stuff. They want me theology, me. I want me doctrines. I want things that make me feel good about me. 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 And the Bible is constantly saying and pointing away from you to God and to others, which oddly enough, is where you're going to find all the fulfillment and peace and satisfaction you're desiring anyway. You're not going to find it focused on you. It's got to be a life lived in sacrifice for God where you find real rest and peace. If you get it backwards and you pursue rest and peace through non-biblical means, you won't ever get there. And you will always be unsatisfied. But God does want us to be satisfied. He wants us to be satisfied in Him. Okay, so there's sharks in the water to prevent you and me from growing up. Here is the way. This is the way. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ. Now before we go into verse 16, I want to just spend a little bit of time saying a few things. John Piper wrote an article in August of 2020 called Broken Hearted Boldness. And the premise of that article, the idea of that article was noticing in our cancel culture, in our rage and outrage culture. You guys know what I mean when I'm talking about that? You know what rage, you know what rage bait is? 
on the internet? How many of you know what I mean when I say that? So I'll, no, I probably need to explain it. Rage bait. What this is? Why, why is all the news the way that it is, and why are all the websites the way that they are, and why is social media a toxic cesspool? Why is that? Because what everybody has figured out is you make ad revenue off of clicks. Click, 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 click. Did you click the article? Yes, you clicked the article. Are there advertisements linked to that article? Yes, that's where the money is made. And millions and millions of clicks on articles equals more money. Does that make sense to everybody? So what is the best way to get you to click on the article? Rage. That is what, it's called rage bait. You've heard clickbait? Well, clickbait is rage bait, typically, especially in news articles. And so what do you got to do? You just got to keep going down the same road, making everybody just like, so that the whole world feels like this all the time. It's weird if you go off of if you go off social media for a week. It's like, oh, there's a. I forgot there were birds out here chirping. Is is that a blue sky? It's weird what happens when you just get off of stuff for a second. But the reason I'm bringing up John Piper's article, "Broken Hearted Boldness," from August is he noticed that outrage culture. Cancel culture. We, we don't want to just say, hey, I think you're wrong. We want to destroy everybody in opposition. So we don't have reasonable dialogues and we don't have reasonable disagreements. We have the nuclear button is always red. We are always, what, DEFCON 1? Is that the most serious? We're always there. It's always, it's always the end. Please don't think I'm not susceptible to this. I am highly, highly attuned and susceptible to this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of us are. Speaking the truth in love, broken-hearted boldness, is different than Christians that succumb to the outrage and just want to rage against everything that's wrong. I want to rage against what I see going on in the world. Oh, please trust me. Do I want to just absolutely pound the pulpit for hours and rage against what's going on? There are times for holy frustration and indignation. You can find that in the Bible. But to make a lifestyle out of rage and outrage is not what Christians are supposed to be doing. What we are supposed to be doing, and this is a mark of the maturity, rather, you see the verse 15, it starts with, other, rather than being deceived, rather than human cunning, rather than every wind of doctrine, rather than those things, we are to speak the truth in love. Have you heard this before? Well, here's the verse. Here's where it happens. It happens in the context of the church growing in maturity. But speaking the truth in love means two things. You have to know what the truth is. Let me make this real easy. If we had a pop quiz, what is the truth? Here it is. 
It's the Word of God. This is the truth. And you have to speak that in love. How do I, uh, how do, I do that? Let me take a really uh, an issue that this works with very well, and it's going to be an issue probably that we're. It's not going to go. It's an issue that will not go away in our culture. Um, LGBTQ issues, homosexuality, homosexual marriage, those type of issues. Um, as we go forward, are going to become more and more of an issue that the church and the culture faces. I'm not going to make outrageous claims of what's going to happen because I have no idea what's going to happen. But what I know is is what the Bible says is true. And I also know that that truth has to be spoken in love. So I'm bringing up a contentious and difficult issue because there are those, there are those Christians who are saying true things but they are not saying them in love. They are saying them in anger and in outrage. And as policies and the culture shifts more and more and more towards acceptance and not just acceptance, but the demand that we all too celebrate what the Bible clearly teaches to be sinful. As that happens the Christian is tempted to start getting that, or or the Christian is tempted, and this is really, to be honest, where I have a bigger concern. When I look at this congregation, I don't really worry too much about the pulpit pounders and the Bible thumping as much as I worry about capitulation, which is a three-syllable word, I believe, that simply means giving in to the culture. So the truth is incredibly important when it comes to an issue like homosexuality, but it has to be the truth that is in love. That's also true let me just let me let me shift gears from something culturally contentious and talk about your wife or your husband. Do you speak the truth in love to them? Sometimes. Familiarity sometimes causes you to just say, I wish you'd quit being an idiot. Of course, nobody has ever said that to their spouse. Or hang on maybe for years and years and years and years to frustrations that calcify and petrify into rock-hard stones so that you go to feel the feelings of feels again and they're not there because all that's there is a petrified stone. That happens in marriages. Eventually there's blow-ups and explosions where truth could be accurately communicated, but not probably in love. 
Speaking the truth in love is knowing the truth and asking God for help. Lord, You've poured Your love in my heart by the Holy Spirit. How show me, help me love the people that I need to be truthful to. This is a prayer I think we need to be praying starting today for our lives that we would be people that are truthful and bold about the truth. We're going to need courage, church. You are going to need courage. I don't know. I am not a prophet. I am not a son of a prophet. But there could be very soon coming a day that this sermon gets me in trouble. Okay? I am not saying that as some weird thing. In Canada, it already gets me in trouble. There are other countries where you, you cannot speak to the LGBTQ issue unless it's celebratory. To, to dissent, to say that it's wrong, to say that it's sinful, is, could be soon interpreted as hate speech. What will we do about that? Well, I, I know that we cannot back away from the truth, but I also know that I don't want to use that as the springboard to get all my outrage in. What it needs to be is broken-hearted boldness. I love that word, the truth in love that says, I am broken-hearted that you are not following what God says. That is really the way that we're supposed to treat our wives and, that's, and our husbands, and that's really the way we're supposed to treat each other. I'm, I'm broken-hearted, Seth, I'm broken-hearted over the sin that you've committed. This is how it's supposed to work in church, by the way, I, and, and I want to be here to restore you. Galatians says, you see your brother sinning, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We are supposed to be in the business of in each other's business, not in a nosy way, but in a restorative, loving way. And that can't happen among children that are immature and baby Christians. It's got to be a part of the growing that we do in Christ where the truth and love are happening parallel all the time. I am not saying that verse 15 comes natural or easy. I'm saying the opposite. In fact, I am saying that it is so not easy and so not natural that we must have help. We must have help with verse 15. If you and I do not have help by the Holy Spirit, we will not do it. Try to know something that's right and do it in love or to be on the other end of the spectrum, I don't want any confrontation. I don't want any, I don't want any of that at all. So I'm just going to go along and get along. I'm just going to go along and get along as long as I possibly can so nobody is ever, 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 ever upset with me. There's probably more of us in the room feeling that way. And our culture is demanding that we feel that way. So that we self-censor the truth. I am not advocating that we get on Twitter and get on Facebook and start lobbing spiritual Molotov cocktails to blow up news feeds. That is not what I am advocating at all. What I'm advocating for is that we sink our roots deep into Christ 
and into His Word and never back off of the truth and never, ever, ever have truth without love. Why? Because that is how we grow. Verse 16 says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, that's you guys, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, which includes the speaking, the truth, and love, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The point and the way that the church grows, the way that we mature, is that we are a people that are committed to the truth, we're submitted to the truth, we are surrendered to the truth, and we speak it and live it and communicate it in love. Let me give you two prayers and we will be dismissed. Just turn the page to Ephesians 6. I think we need two, two prayers for the truth and love. Verse 19 of chapter 6. He asked for prayer also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I ought to speak. I ought to speak boldly. I should be speaking boldly. I am asking you to pray that I would speak it boldly. By the way, I'm in chains writing you this letter in chains because I did speak it boldly. Just want to point that out. The whole reason I'm writing to you from prison is because I was bold, but that doesn't mean that I assume that I'm going to be bold tomorrow. I need you to pray for me that I will continue to be bold. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's the same kind of prayer in Acts chapter 4. They had just healed the sick, and they had just been bold in front of the Sanhedrin, and they say, Lord, grant to your servants that we would speak your word with all boldness, which is why we're in this mess, because we spoke it with all boldness. The idea is, is that we must never presume that today's bread is going to be there tomorrow without the bread deliverer. We need to go to Him who has our daily bread and ask, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, my daily grace. Ken, bringing up what he brought up, it's not just a one-time moment. It's a, Lord, I need Your help today to be kind. Speaking the truth, speaking boldly, is going to require a daily relationship with God where we ask, Lord, make me bold in the right way. And then jump back to Psalm 51. I just want you to see this as a prayer from David. This is the brokenheartedness prayer. Psalms 51, David is king. David is riding high. David commits adultery with Bathsheba and has the husband murdered. The prophet Nathan rebukes him. David repents in the most powerful repentant psalm, I believe, in the, in the Bible is Psalm 51. Against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned. And in verse 7, verse 10, excuse me, he says, 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. He is literally asking that God would help him remain willing. He is asking for clean. He is asking cleanliness. He's asking for a renewed right spirit within him. And then if you go to verse 17, you see, or verse 15, he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We need, and if you want to go back and read the John Piper article, it is very good, August 2020, Brokenhearted Boldness. He points out in that article, the most beautiful thing in the world is a contrite heart that is broken before God that is very bold for His truth. If we're going to say things about the LGBT community, we better love the LGBT community. If we're going to say things about the sinfulness of abortion, we better love single moms and single pregnant mothers. Right? If we're going to say that this community is going to hell in a handbasket, we better want to help the kids that are running around the streets. Do you see what I'm saying? Our hearts have got to be broken in us so that we, aren't, we recognize the truth, but love that says, God who died for my sin while I was a sinner and in rebellion, I want, I want to reflect that nature of Christ to the world around me. Not capitulating on the truth, not, not putting it aside and pretending it's not there, but speaking the truth in love. It's not a formula for guaranteed success, by the way. Jesus spoke the truth in love every single day that He walked planet Earth. And they crucified Him. So don't, don't get it in your head, oh, this is the key to success in 2021. It is the key to success. It could also be the key to you losing your job. A for that powerful tidbit. The truth in love. We'll work on this all year. Is that all right? Actually, we're probably going to have to work on this until you quit breathing, actually, is how long we're going to be working on this. This is a lifelong project. This isn't one sermon. Okay, I got that truth. Put it in my pocket. I hope something cool happens next Sunday. This is a lifelong life of learning to reflect the love of Christ, speak the truth of Christ, learn the truth of Christ, grow in the truth and the love of Christ so that we're overflowing in both. Anybody have a grandma or grandpa like this? 
been a Christian 50 years, and they just kind of exude this loving, no-nonsense. Anybody know when I ever encounter people like that? And you're always like, how did they get there? Everything they said that was so harsh was also done in love. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God, God calls us as Christians to be truthful and to be loving. Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. But the way we're going to be dismissed today is taking communion. So if you didn't get one of these, they are out in the foyer, and I will let you get those. My nephew, Elijah, came up to me this morning. He got a Bible for Christmas. And he had a scripture picked out. And he said, Hey, you ever thought about using this for communion? said, you know what, Elijah? Yes, I have, but thank you for reminding me. I don't share that because it's cute, but we speak the truth to our children. We teach the truth to our children. We demonstrate the love of God to our children. And so for, for Elijah, how old is he, 10? the most normal thing in the world to him, the most normal thing in the world to him to get a Bible for Christmas. It's normal to get a Bible for Christmas and to have something to share out of it. I want you to think about that. Because his parents are teaching him and raising him in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so, since he brought that to my attention, I thought I would read to you the scripture that he brought to my attention. And it's this. Well, I lost it. Sorry, Elijah. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a proclamation of truth. That is a demonstration of his love. It is an on-purpose remembering of the love of God that he died for our sin and his body was broken and his blood seals a new covenant between God and man and this is the truth and love that we proclaim. So let's take this together.
Now, Lord, to you who are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or imagine, according to the power at work in us, Lord, to you be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Lord. God, I pray that we would be a people that speak truth in love, that we would learn truth in love, and that we would be mesmerized in our hearts by the truth in love. And that we would abound and overflow in love more and more as we grow in the knowledge of Your Word and in truth more and more. Lord, we thank You for this and we give You praise for it today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, tonight we have prayer. Be praying about our next um, book of the Bible. Trying to pray about, Lord, what do we do next because we got through Genesis. But other than that, you are officially dismissed. Thank you all.